Welcome to another episode of the State of Flux podcast. Today's guest is NYC-based visual artist, Max Kolchinski. As you'll see when we get into how we met, Max is truly an incredible person and one of the hardest workers I know. It was really enlightening getting to hear his journey, and I loved getting to dive into the highs and lows of making art with message with him. When you're done listening to this, I really encourage you to go check out Max's work. He is so, so talented, up-and-coming guy, and I really think you're going to love it. But anyway, let's get on with the show. Are you ready? I think a great place to start this interview is where we met because I can't tell you how many times I've told this story to people because <laughs> it is one of those inspiring things to me. For instance, like my nephews, I tell my nephews this all the time. My oldest nephew's sophomore in college and he's starting to look for internships and very get cool his career set up. And then I'm like, dude, you got to just go after it. So it was when I was running 24 West, you had reached out to me on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. very well written message saying how you liked what we were doing and you'd love to buy me a cup of coffee sometime. And you showed up at the office. I was expecting some 30-year-old guy. You were like 17 years old. <laughs> You're like in, still in high school. <laughs> and the thing that blows my mind too, like you were talking about your experience in the LinkedIn message. You had two or three great internships. You're doing like artist management. And when a 17-year-old kid walked in my door, I was like, man, this kid has the brightest future of Aww. anybody I've ever talked to because he's this young and he just gets it. He gets the hustle, the benefits of networking. So man, that is just a great testament to who you are. And over the years, as you know, we've remained friends and collaborated work together, you have lived up to every single thing that I thought you would grow into. Wow. That's really sweet. Thank you. That's uh, yeah, it's a special memory to look back on. And it, it's funny that that was probably almost 10 years ago now. Yeah, it's been a while. But on that topic, one thing that I think really sets you apart in everything that you do is that hustle. You are so great at networking and making sure you put yourself in the best position to succeed. So where does that hustle come from? Have you just always been motivated or is it something that you've kind of developed starting at the age of 17, obviously, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough to say. I think a lot of it comes from my mom being very encouraging with the stuff that I was passionate about all the way from childhood till now. My childhood dream, probably from age eight or nine till probably early high school, was to be a sports broadcaster. I, I grew up a diehard Yankees fan. I would go to tons of games every year. I was like hounding people for autographs. I think maybe that's where it started, like the hustling for autographs <laughs> and like trying to meet players and broadcasters and stuff like that. And I really, even younger than 17, like probably 13, was building a network in that world. And I, I got to meet some interesting people in that world. You know, my dream was to announce Yankee games or work at ESPN or something like that. And I'd always been a really big music fan, I guess, you know, kind of coming of age more in high school, it seemed and also just like playing less sports as I got older and interest changing. I, I think my passion was sort of more going in the creative field versus the athletic field. And, and I guess, you know, broadcasting and that sort of stuff has a, a 
level of creativity to it as well. But once I kind of made that switch, I just started talking to people and learning a lot, you know, collecting records around that time. So that kind of informed a lot and even hustling with that a little bit, like flipping records in high school, pay for concert tickets or like get other records I wanted or whatever. It's almost like each phase has kind of prepared myself for the next. And even like now that I'm doing art full time and still navigating how to make this a sustainable career and having to learn like this whole new set of things there, I'm kind of like pulling from each previous thing that I'd done, which is a bit of a maze, but also, you know, the journey becomes more important as I go and as I get older and that kind of realizing that I've been working for a long time, like since I was a kid, basically towards things I wanted to do. I think all of that has sort of prepared me, but a lot of it I think comes from my background, like being raised with a mother that encouraged me to, to do the things I was passionate about and going to a small school and just like having that sort of attention from different teachers in particular, like some English teachers that really encouraged me to write. And maybe that's what helped me cut through the noise on LinkedIn. <laughs> I don't think it's like a really linear path or set of skills. And I try to be like light and refreshing to people who ask me how I've done some of the stuff I've done or how to figure some of these things out, you know? And when I met you, you were very focused on a career in the music business. Yeah. As you mentioned now, now you're doing art full time. So were you always on the side doing visual art? Or is that something that you kind of discovered later on? And what led to you wanting to make that transition? So it's really interesting. I'll go backwards in a sec. But it, it's been almost two years now since I left my career in music. And I think at various points, I've had to learn some of these more inherent lessons of like choosing this life path, because it is like one of the harder paths <laughs> to go about. Oh, yeah. And I think you have to have some level of, I don't know if it's delusion or like, <laughs> there's something <laughs> that, that it takes in a person to be like, yeah, I, I could be an artist. Like, actually, not just making art, but like, I could be an artist. And I think when I look back, I've been doing it my whole life without realizing and then at the points in those moments in my teen years or like early college years just sort of having a, a self-taught background and not like an art school background or like a specialized education or anything like that in the arts I, I think I'd always been fighting against my lack of foundational skills or education in that world so now like understanding that more I realize that there's just been so much self-imposed suffering of I really want to do this I really want to make this, but I have no idea how to do it. So I'm just going to try to figure it out as I go and like try to, you know, put one foot in front of the of the last. So truly, I've, I think I've been an artist my whole life when I really think about it. I think the, the real beginnings, like beyond, you know, taking classes in school or like at the JCC or whatever, like doing creative things as a kid and even like making mixtapes on my cassette player and like burning CDs and, and stuff like that in my childhood. I think the real entry point for me was probably Photoshop in like middle school, high school. In the art class at my school, there were computers that had Photoshop and I was really interested in making album covers basically and, and essentially fan art for like unreleased compilations of artists I liked because I had my iTunes super organized, you know, and even doing like alternate artworks for like mixtapes that would come out and stuff like that. I was really interested in it, but I didn't know that I was so interested in it because it had that music footing in it. So I, I started there and probably like end of high school, beginning of college, I really felt like I was reaching a point of, I guess, like being in the know or like having like a tastemaker 
angle with like with music but that came especially at that time which is you know like 2014 15 16 there was like this huge element of fashion and streetwear and you know sort of the beginnings of social media trends and stuff like that and i was working at major record labels at the time, kind of learning that world. So I really had a strong desire to dress really cool and go to a lot of shows, rub shoulders with people. I wanted to design and screen print t-shirts because, you know, that's what every Long Island kid who listens to hip hop wants to do. That paired with the Photoshop experience kind of led me to take a few classes in college. So I did a screen printing course, which is really fun and really challenging. I did a graphic design course and a photography course, and it was so Sort of in that screen printing class that I stumbled into being an artist, like actually owning it and being like, oh, wow, I have this concept. I figured out like a way to visually communicate an idea that is very multi-pronged or like, you know, goes a lot deeper beneath the surface of this like very minimal design. And once I unlocked that and did it, I opened up a lot, but it still took me a bunch of time to really put myself out there, work in other mediums and challenge myself. I I think I'm really at the beginnings of going all the way back and filling in the gap with the education and with some of that stuff because I've kind of just been self-taught figuring it out for a few years to some success and like and a lot of fulfillment but also struggling through it a lot of steps of the way and now I'm, I'm kind of going back which takes a lot to do but I'm excited to see where that takes me and yeah I, th that might have been a really long-winded answer but this happens a lot when I do these interviews, but there's like five different things that I was like, I want to hear more about this on this. So that's a good thing. But one of those things yeah. is you bring up an interesting point in that you're self-taught. I think it's a generational thing. I'm a little older than you, but I'm the same way. I started playing in bands. That was my intro into the creative world. I took piano and jazz guitar in college. But before I started doing that, I wanted to learn how to play. So I was looking up tabs online and trying yeah. to figure it out that way, you know, and then Every creative thing I've done, whether it's learning to be a better writer, learning about Photoshop and Lightroom, photography is a huge passion of mine. I've never taken a photography class, but yeah. I've probably watched a thousand hours of YouTube tutorials. And this is what I'm curious about. A lot of the reasons why I went the self-taught route was because I didn't think I was good enough to be in those classes. I wasn't confident in my ability. Yeah, 100%. I think that's a huge thing that a lot of people tell themselves. That's like a deep-seated fear that prevents you from just taking that step, for sure. I realized recently I started taking drawing classes at the Art Students League this year and just showing up, registering for that first month and like committing to it and showing up every day was a huge step. Even more so than the drawing improving and seeing where that leads, like just I think that step for myself was probably the biggest part. And it's a little cliche, but it's so true. I, I don't think I really realized how afraid I was until I walked in and did it. It's funny. I feel like every creative person that I know, no matter their talent level, or you'd say the same thing about successful people, everybody has some level of imposter syndrome. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure it's healthy because if you were to just sit there and think you're the greatest thing already, what's going to push you to get better? But it seems to be like a really common thing with successful people or artists or anybody doing something that is a little less path of least resistance. Yeah, for sure. When you talk to people that you admire, and hear it, there is that level of sort of reassurance and you feel a little comforted by it, but you're also like, fuck, if this person feels that way, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a process, man.
So another thing that you mentioned there was continuing education as an artist. You're filling in the gaps in your foundation to kind of make up for the fact that you're self-taught. Are you making a lot of realizations of, oh shit, I should have been doing that a lot differently? Or is it more just kind of knowledge gaining? I think it's both. The first thing you said about sort of reapproaching and seeing a transformation in your own work, I think I'm giving myself a lot of time and like room to let that happen naturally. My inclination would be to come home from class and like try painting differently or to try to incorporate it straight away. But I, I know that I still have a bit of room to grow. So I'm, I'm kind of giving that space. And I, I know sometime, you know, this year, whenever I'll see that progression, like in my paintings and stuff, but I'm still I'm also still working on projects that I haven't finished yet. And that I'd started before starting the course. So I kind of want to see those things through before I completely switch things up or like or really show that jump in things. But the experience has been incredible. I mean, like I said, even just for myself to push myself through something that I was subconsciously so opposed to and like and giving myself all these excuses to not do has been really transformative. Just seeing the progress from day one, week one, and you know, the first few weeks to now, because I'm, I'm still doing it. It's pretty crazy. And, and I, I don't know if I made this analogy to you, but I, I've been kind of sharing this with different friends that I've been telling about the class. It's kind of like going to the gym where it's like, it's so much about repetition and just showing up and like, you're not gonna have a great day every day and you're not gonna feel super motivated or like feel physically or mentally or emotionally your best. You know, you might hate what you did or, but it's so important to just show up and, and do the reps and, and then you see it pay off pretty quickly, but relatively. And yeah, it's definitely, it, it's opened me up in a lot of ways, even just generally like in a sense of curiosity and optimism and like I, I feel now I don't feel bogged down by how much there is to learn or how many gaps there are to go fill in my lack of formal education it's almost like wow there's so much it's inspiring I, yeah I want to go learn all that stuff or you know whatever I can and at the same time I just this weekend I just took my first lesson in stained glass making there's an artist a really talented artist in Brooklyn who does one-on-one -on -one sessions and I did my first one with her recently and just kind of learned in a very very simplified design and scale and everything like this is how you kind of do a whole piece in like a couple hours and I, I have a few things I want to make so that that first design that I want to do like we're going to work on it together and see how that goes over the next couple months but that's something that I really wanted to do for a long time and I don't think I realized it until probably last year but that's another thing where it's like you know just even like going on a trip last year and like seeing a bunch of stained glass kind of brought that to the forefront of my brain where I was like, oh, wait, I actually always really wanted to do this. And it's not impossible. I'm in New York. I'm sure there's somebody yeah. that could help teach me. And the same goes with Art Students League. It's a very, it's a pretty low barrier to entry to learn creative skills versus going for an MFA or paying someone to take one-on-one -on -one lessons or whatever. So even though it's not the, the smallest first step, taking that small first step has really unlocked a lot. I'm very excited, but also unlike myself, I'm, I'm feeling patient about how this is going to cultivate into new things. It's already been really rewarding. If you could go back, would you prefer to go the way you did or would you rather take a more structured educational approach to art? Because on one side, there is so much value to the education and the training and everything. But there is so much that probably makes what you do and your art unique to you because you're self-taught. So yeah, that, I think that's a part of it. And also my experience leading into this path is quite unique.
I, I don't think I answered one of your questions earlier, what wanted me to make that switch. And a lot of it was the NFT boom of the last few years. And just in a really brief synopsis, like I got into that stuff during COVID in 2020, I started keeping up with all that and learning about it. I started collecting like very inexpensive, but very cool things that I thought I wanted to collect. And I had a bunch of artist friends who were doing it and, and seeing success with their work. And that led to me connecting with more people and helping people out and all that sort of stuff. And then eventually selling my art for the first time through that mechanism. And then that kind of gave me some sort of confidence that like I could do this because I was selling paintings and selling drawings and digital pieces and stuff. I think, you know, if things went differently and in high school, I was like, oh, I want to pursue art. And I went to like some sort of MFA program or whatever. I don't think I would have really pursued any of that stuff because it's very, it, or at least at the beginning, it was very against the grain traditional art world. Mm. And I don't think I would have really found what interested me on my own necessarily. There are a few things visually that are interesting to me that even from like my really, really terrible early drawings and paintings, there's a through line from that stuff to what I'm doing now. And I'm sure for a while it'll be that way. Some of these themes or motifs, you know, I, I don't really have a desire to go back in time and radically change things. And I really try not to live with any sort of regret. But I, I do, especially in this experience, taking classes at the league and feeling very gassed on learning things and like trying new things. I do wish that I'd started earlier because I think it would have only helped me more in those challenges and periods. I think that's what this time is for now. And luckily I'm in a place where I have enough stability financially. I can take this time to sort of incubate and learn. And before I feel this insane pressure to sell work or figure out what my commercial breakthrough is going to be. And it's sort of funny. A lot of the biggest artists that you could think of music, you know, art, film, whatever, when you really think about your favorite, they all had or most really some people get very lucky very early in their careers or in their practices. A lot of the greats had these formative early periods where they're learning and they're experimenting and whatever. And then something just sticks like the Murakami flower causes figure or whatever, like those sorts of things that become this commercial iconography that it's almost like a cross or a Star of David where it's, yeah, it's a Murakami flower. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to buy that $80 t-shirt. I was joking with a friend of mine last week, going in and like drawing nude models every day is great. My fun, like weird figurative paintings are great. Maybe in my 30s, I'll figure out what my sellout moment is going to be. That may or may not happen, but I really would like it to be built on something and to like be person that kind of knows to an extent what to do with that sort of pressure. And that, that was always something that I talked about with the artists I worked with in my music business career. You don't just want your first song to pop off and then you have no idea how to follow it up or you have no idea how to perform on stage or whatever. Like you do really want it to be built on something. Even though I've been doing this for almost two years, I don't think there's like an amount of time or a specific way or rhyme or reason that prepares someone for that or gets them to that point. So I'm trying to be a little bit more patient than I would tend to be or a little bit more easy on myself with some of this stuff because that really harsh self-critic is, is something I do too. I think every creative person has some of that along with the imposter syndrome. Maybe they're best friends, but I think it's important to just try not to force things and, and let them happen and accept that like, yeah, I didn't go to art school. That doesn't need to stop me. 
you mentioned patience again, which is obviously one of the most important lessons for anybody, whether they're in a creative space or not, you need patience in life to be successful. So what do you do to help kind of harness that patience? Like how'd you develop it in yourself? Was it just a realization or did you work at it? I haven't, honestly. (laughs) I mean, with these bigger picture things, I think it's just trying to be a little bit more present and in the moment with what you're doing now, which is a muscle I'm working to exercise every day. Yeah, I started the artist way through your recommendation. I have it here. And I, I <laughs> this was my second day of doing the morning pages. I think a lot of it is just trying to be present and like, just in general, in whatever way you can take life slow. And most days that I get out of my drawing class, I've been pretty exhausted. And it's been hard to work on paintings or like, it's been hard to just exert a lot of mental energy into stuff, aside from maybe like DJing, because I'm doing it really just for myself and to enjoy it. Just trying to like find little bits of peace so that when I start thinking far ahead, I'm like, actually, all I need to do today is do my morning pages, talk to Rich, go to class, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> do do that sort of stuff. Because it, it's easy to think really far ahead and be hard on yourself and not be satisfied with where you're at or, you know, want more. I think that's like every person in every creative field, it's like always on to the next thing, or it's always about like the next stage or wanting more. Like I said, luckily I'm in a phase where like, I I don't feel huge amounts of pressure to have everything figured out, but in like three years, I probably will. So I know that I just need to like work hard right now so that hopefully at that point I can sort of have it figured out, you know? You just brought up another great point. And it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. When you said for most creative people, the mentality is kind of on to the next. Do you think that's Mm -hmm. just a trait of creativity and ambition? Or do you think that's something that our society is kind of pushing on artists now because of the way we treat art and entertainment? as disposable. I think it's a bit of both. I think the pressure and the desire to kind of keep up with everyone and, you know, be able to flex like the latest project you're doing or whatever. I think a lot of that is societal. But I mean, even and and my interest in art history is limited because I, I really lean towards the things I like and I don't really study the stuff I don't like as much, which is, you know, something I need to work on. But in this class that my instructor's really been talking a lot about like the masters and Leonardo and you know people people whose work are, are great and have informed so much but like I don't really sit around and like look at renaissance era art all the time but those guys really made a lot of stuff and really pushed themselves and and did these things that are really hard to imagine even doing now so with that sort of limited technology and limited amounts of color and tools it's pretty incredible. So I I think some of it is inherent to creativity and ambition and wanting to create things that you want to see in the world. But I think a lot of the pressure and like needing to keep up and posture in different ways, like a lot of that's societal. And a lot of my artist friends who are not the most content inclined and really have very little interest in becoming influencers or becoming celebrities, but really just want to create and want their work to be seen and want to connect with people and and really just live moderately successful lives, maybe shown in galleries or maybe have successful products or whatever, but not necessarily post every day or, you know, have millions of people watching them. Those people really just want to make stuff and share it and, and sell it or whatever. A lot of my friends who are built that way, like really just just want to draw really just want to paint and not that many of them want to do all this other shit and you could kind of see the difference in approach 
to the work itself from the people that are kind of more influencers than artists. And I I try not to say that with any sort of negativity or, or judgment, but I'm more in the camp of like being interested in the work than in the appearance of it after years of being in that scene, whether it was the music industry scene, which is very clout driven, the NFT space for a majority of that, the various hype cycles, I think were driven by clout, that sort of stuff. And it doesn't really interest me. It's hard to say humbly. So I apologize if I sound like a bit of a douchebag, but I, you know, I have friends that are really successful. I've made connections and worked with people who I admire and like who I think are great and that, you know, random people or friends of mine that aren't from these circles are like, wow, that's so cool. You're friends with this person. I don't get excited by the allure of it. I'm just, I admire people who I admire and, I, and you know, art that I admire or whatever. And it's all kind of on an equal footing. I don't support one friend more because they're friends with this celebrity or they're in this gallery or whatever. In these sorts of worlds and circles, it becomes apparent where people's intentions are. And I think as long as you just know where yours are and you work towards those things, that's what counts. And it's hard not to sound bitter or not to judge people in the other camp. But I've really more recently just tried distance myself from it and towards the stuff I do care about rather than exist in those spaces and feel not great about it. Because then you you start to lose sight of your priorities or just I, I think like comparing yourself to other people can't really help much. But it's it's a bit of a minefield, man. There's no guarantee that, you know, hard work work or consistency will lead to success, but try your hardest and try to make what you can with what you got. What you just said there about the people you surround yourself with is super important because I personally, I grew up on the hardcore and punk and heavy music scene here on Long Island. I say this all the time. The only reason I found any level of success in a field where it's really hard to find success and there's a million people that start out wanting to do it and then very few of those continue into it as a career. A lot of that I attribute to what I learned on that scene. The whole DIY ethics and don't think about, am I going to get on MTV as a band? It's just want to write songs on my guitar, play with my friends and play to a room of 10 people in a VFW hall. And that's fun. And I enjoy that. I think if you look across most movements and and successful creative people, you see that they usually come from a specific scene, whether it's a punk hardcore scene in music or New York City in the 80s. I feel like you have that, the people you met largely through NFTs, right? Yeah. It opened up my world to a lot of visual artists. It is very DIY mentality and it's a lot of self-taught artists. It's a lot of people that have hustled their way into success and sort of figured things out as they went. Through that, I found a lot of people that inspired me to want more for myself as an artist and like to pursue it seriously and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I know the market is rebounding a little bit now, but a lot of those people made a decent amount of money for those couple of years. They're obviously continuing on as artists. I don't know how many of your friends came from that world beforehand or if NFTs was a gateway to a little bit of success for them. But was it helpful for you and all that whole group of artists that you navigated the Web3 scene with to have to kind of transition back into a more traditional model to continue to find success? Yes and no for different people. I think because times were so good... For a while there, everyone in different forms and on different levels kind of over leveraged themselves, like whether it was attention and time or literally money or assets or whatever. I think it's been really good for me because it's forced me to kind of face these challenges head on and want to learn more and grow and all that sort of stuff. 
I have a lot of friends that are struggling financially. So I, I wouldn't say that it's really been great for them, maybe spiritually or like in terms of creative journey, perhaps. But some people that I, I'm friendly with in the space had some success either in the traditional art world, not many, but some a little bit or in kind of DIY downtown New York type of art scenes and some as designers or looking at creative agencies, some people that have complete separate careers from their art who are going to be fine. So it's it's a bit of a spectrum. I, I think it's been harder on some than others. And also some artists had a lot of success playing the NFT market, you know, essentially like day trading while also doing their thing. And some people made better decisions than others in that world. So some people, you know, have some cushion with that stuff, some don't. Some people did their taxes the way that they should. Some people didn't. <laughs> I think it's like anything else, you know? And and yeah, things are are sort of rebounding again. I've been a bit more removed from the space. Like I still definitely have a foot in and I, you know, it means a lot to me and it really did change my life in a lot of ways, even if it hasn't like continued to just be like high rolling times. But yeah, I, I think it'll continue to morph and ebb and flow. And I don't know how much of it will be sort of traditional art or, you know, like 2D art and how much of it is going to be more metaverse based or, you know, gaming or whatever other sort of content. But it's a weird space. <laughs> it's a weird market driven yeah. <laughs> space. And I think a lot of people pretended to care about the art. And a lot of people convinced themselves that people cared about the art, that me being one of them, you know. And then a lot of collectors or curators or platforms or whatever, you know, were very clearly in a play the market and we know what happened to the market. So I think it really remains to be seen like what that means for artists, but the people who have continued to do stuff are going to continue on that path. I don't know so many people have like given up on making art, but you know, when you don't have that steady income, I have friends that are taking up service jobs or have to do like creative things in fields that they hate or, you know, making yeah. things that they don't like because they need to pay bills. The fallout of that tippy top frothy bull market it's been tough for pretty much everybody, yeah. even the really successful artists. Staying on Web3 and blockchain for a little bit, I don't think we're ever going to see like a bull rush on PFP projects again. But I do think the blockchain is going to be one of the most important innovations in history. And I think from an NFT perspective, I think that just being able to use blockchain for authenticating it's going to be huge as well which not to pat you on the back again but you know i feel like that was always kind of your approach to nfts anyway with your art was you were doing actual physical paintings and yeah. then including the nft with that work is that something that you think is even as this market is it what it used to be if if you're working on a piece of art are you still attaching it to the blockchain or are you past that for now yeah it depends like i haven't really minted anything in a while it's it's definitely been several months. I found that many collectors in the space don't really care that much about the physical work. Interestingly enough, for an artist that mainly makes physical work, there are still a couple of pieces that I sold for good money. It's surprising that people don't want the painting. So I'm still holding on to a couple. It's very individual what people are interested in and why they buy these things in the first place and there are definitely people that wanted to hang things on their wall and that's why they bought them in the first place and i think maybe some people just believed in me or wanted to support me or found out about me through another artist or saw me in a show or whatever but that was always yeah 
definitely one of the more important things to me connecting these physical digital worlds in real life experiences like galleries or parties or things like that. Those were always the brighter moments of it, the more interesting experiences, making friends that maybe never even bought my art or never really liked it <laughs> or whatever, yeah. but kind of having those exchanges. I, I do miss that a bit. I think that has been one of the harder or like more disappointing results of everything coming down to earth a bit. There's less of that. And the events that do happen are different. I think in the future, I'll mint, if someone buys a painting, especially if it's like thousands of dollars, like totally I'll mint it for them if they want it. But my, my head hasn't been there too much recently. And I've also... I think as I've kind of worked on different projects, I've realized that like maybe some things are more for this crowd and other things are more for another crowd. Like there's a, a project sort of in progress right now that I, I've kind of kept in mind as like something I could do digitally. There's a physical component, but it would be like interesting digitally and there might be some more interest for a lot of people to like have a copy of this digitally and then there's like one mm -hmm. really special physical connected to it so yeah we'll see another patience thing and and it's a good time too to either like go all in and and like mint a bunch of shit and like see what works there are all these different trends like with bitcoin ordinals and a lot of people are minting on solana again and i'm like in the know enough to kind of know the trends that are going on and like the artists that are doing stuff and like what is working and what's not but like when i see some of the projects on bitcoin or in solana i'm like this art is garbage i don't really want to yeah. put my stuff next to this stuff and, and it's it's a lot like that pfp trend where i think people are just trying to be early what i was trying to say is i think it's a good time to either like, try a bunch of shit see what sticks build another market or another collector base around the trends or like, watch it moderately the way i have and sort of in the back of your mind okay this is like what i'm interested in what i want to do and when there's that convergence of like this is what's working in the market and this is what i want to do then i'll put it out you know, from our friendship origin story that you're a hustler, obviously you're putting out a lot of work in your art and you're very talented. So what are some of the things that you think are key to building a career as a visual artist? Well, I appreciate the compliments. I'm still figuring it out, man. <laughs> I think there's like infinite things to figure out and sort of learn and apply and practice. But first and foremost, like you should really only do it if you really want it and you're absolutely prepared for a lot of ups and downs. And I think that's something I was prepared for in my time in the music business, because there are lots of ups and downs in it. But the difference is there aren't a team of executives and lawyers telling you you can't do shit all the time. It's kind of choose your own adventure. There might be money or galleries or different roadblocks that get in your way from doing something the way you want to. But ultimately, it all falls on you because you're the artist. It's your career. You got to figure it out. And with NFTs or, you know, even just the internet in general, there are ways to kind of circumvent all of these players that could sort of gatekeep you or whatever. So, you know, I think, I think you first and foremost, you need to like really want it and be prepared to fail and to have a hard time for the first however long. You'll hear often stories of artists and actors and musicians that don't have their big break or don't have any sort of success until they're like 50, 60, you know? So I guess like kind of expect that, <laughs> that like you're yeah. not going to get into a museum for like decades, probably, if that's one of your goals or, you know, a commercial gallery or whatever. You know, w whether it's visual art or music or whatever, so much of what interests people 
in creative things are stories. So whether it's literally your personal story or the story you're trying to convey with your work, you should really have something strong there. And it doesn't have to be so obvious or so explained, but when you look at something, you can kind of tell if there's more beneath the surface or not. And we're past the point of copying artists from the 80s and 90s and that being interesting or, or any era for that matter. Even if you are very inspired by X artists to at least put three to 10% of your own spin on it. So there's something that could appeal to someone so they wouldn't just it's go look a, at, you know, a Warhol book or whatever. The theory of creative surprise. Are you familiar with it? Creative surprise? No, can you explain it? Not creative. What's the term? Familiar surprise? Maybe it's familiar surprise. So okay. I know this really smart man named David Rosen. His training is in neuroscience. Oh, wow. I guess you just say he, he is a scientist. Lifelong wow. musician. It's familiar surprise is the term, by the way. But okay. he dedicated years to figuring out what makes people enjoy music. And what he learned is it has to be familiar enough for it to be comfortable for people to listen to it, but yeah. with enough of a twist on it that it doesn't make somebody say, oh, I've already heard this. You know, yeah, the familiarity is inviting, and then the surprise is, is the hook, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think that's a part of it is like having yeah. that balance. And I know you got to get out of here in a little bit, but there is one other thing that I wanted to bring up here, and that's you have a lot of messaging in your art. You know, obviously, a lot of that you want to leave up to interpretation, but how you would describe the messaging in your art and what your experience has been getting it out there in the world? I think the most obvious one would be the watcher symbol that I designed probably a, a bit over two years ago now. The sort of inspiration to create a symbol that, again, has some familiarity, but some uniqueness to it and even just in of itself creating a symbol that could be easily recognizable and sort of identifiable as a tag or you know something that that kind of associates with me or with an idea i think a lot of that i realized later on subconsciously really had to do with my first art project that I, sh I ever shared, which was a little over five years ago. That was sort of what I worked on in that screen printing class I mentioned earlier. And it's worth touching on, not going too deep into. That project was called Good Luck. That was sort of college-aged Max, like coming to terms with all these crazy things going on in the world in 2017. So this is like, you know, post- Trump election in the midst of a Jewish man in New York City noticing a lot of anti-Semitism on college campuses and literally seeing a swastika etched into a desk in my school and seeing a lot of stuff online and coming from a relatively religious Jewish background and going to a Jewish school growing up, feeling very disturbed by that and kind of surprised because I didn't experience that so much growing up. And I realized that there, there was so much power and fear baked into iconography and symbols, and particularly the, the swastika in this case, it forced me to kind of approach it. Like one day I was just like, all right, like I need to learn why I'm so afraid of these lines, you know? It's such yeah. a, an absurd thing to, to even put it that way, but it, it's true. It's, you're literally afraid of lines. Like, what's this about? You know, learning the origins in a very elementary manner, like Wikipedia and like a few articles maybe. And, and I think I, I read part of a book about it. Learning that the origins of the swastika, you know, go way back and really have like the complete opposite meaning than what the Nazis intended. And it, it really being about good luck and good fortune and 
all of that, it immediately clicked in my head when I read the words good luck, because probably one of the most famous Jewish exports of all time is the phrase mazel tov. And the definition of mazel tov is good luck. It's actually not congratulations, like a lot of people think, because we say it at you know, big life events or whatever, which I also think is a very Jewish thing, you know, to like celebrate something and be like, good luck. (laughs) So once I made that that connection, it was this really profound juxtaposition of the thing that every modern Jew fears the most being really the same as this phrase that we say all the time, like in a really positive light. And that made me want to sort of flip the script and put them next to each other, which is what I did in that design on the poster that that I screen printed. And then, so there was a lot of swastikas for like a year or two. (laughs) There were a lot of of looking for them, them coming to me, which, you know, no person should really wish for producing a lot of them, which is a very bizarre thing as a, as a Jewish (laughs) person. And it connected me to, you know, different artists and, and different interesting people that saw something in it and were like, wow, like conceptually, this is really strong. And, you know, some of the stuff that I made to complement that design, you know, now when I look back on it, some of it wasn't that great or could have used some rewrites or some tweaks or whatever. But it was, it is still something I'm very proud of. And it's foundational to me wanting to do art was like sort of making art as a means to express things that otherwise get really lost in Instagram captions or even conversations oftentimes because for whatever reason it's it's very polarizing to be a Jewish person. This even goes without talking about Israel or whatever. That stayed with me for a long time. You know, I showed it to people a little over five years ago. And then I started painting more and and doing kind of more figurative stuff and abstract stuff. And I really wanted to have some sort of tag or symbol or like something that I could just draw that encapsulated a lot of this, but I didn't know how. And another symbol that really came to me, kind of the opposite of the swastika in a way, like I just kind of found myself interested in it all of a sudden after seeing it for so many years was the Hamsa, sort of like the hand, you know, like with the evil eye, and it's supposed Mm -hmm. to protect you and guide you and and stuff like that. That became really interesting to me, probably like the summer of 2021, as I was working on different pieces. And I actually made a piece that sort of recontextualized that poster that I made two, three years before. So I, I think there was just a lot going on in the back of my mind that I didn't realize. And I started drawing the Hamsa in like a really simple way and like trying to design it in a, in a way that was very minimalist and modern and sort of easy to repeat and easy to copy and whatever. And those were sort of the beginnings of, of the watcher symbol. That's what I, I wound up calling it as the watcher. Because it sort of looks like an eye, it sort of looks like a hand. It does, to me, it it represents a lot of the things of the Hamsa, but to other people, it kind of looks like a, you know, jellyfish or a UFO or a (laughs) basketball hoop or, you know, I've heard like some really interesting things, which is super cool. I love that. So I try not to overdefine it, but I think it is interesting to know the origins and to know the intentions because the intention of the symbol is anti-hate symbol. It's supposed to be like the opposite of how you feel when you see a swastika, essentially. There's a through line through all the work and a lot of it is about individual versus collective and sort of like place in the world and ide- I mean identity is is baked into all of it but it's a little bit less obvious I think than when I was in college and sort of being a super lib and <laughs> you know like trying to 
make yeah. such grand activist statements with everything that I made. But yeah, I, I do agree that it, it is really important to make something that at least means something to you. Not every artist needs to be a social activist or, you know, even pretend to be because a lot of artists aren't interested in that or don't really want to make work about that. And I don't think anyone should be forced to. But even the Murakami flower has to have some sort of meaning or some sort of origin story yeah. that means something to him. Otherwise, he wouldn't want to be making it for so long. I want to focus a little bit on the watcher symbol and the call out of anti-Semitism. Because for me personally, and this is so stupid and it's something I shouldn't be thinking about. If I'm going to post something on threads or Instagram, I think to myself, oh no, that's too catalytic. I don't want to deal with people being annoyed with me saying this and who am I to say this? And obviously when you're putting out work that you put legitimate effort into, not just an Instagram post, and you're putting it out there as a rep representation of yourself, to do so covering a topic that's so catalytic really runs the risk of, you know, there are a lot of assholes out there who are going to look at that and be like, this is somebody that we should be targeting. Like we should hurt this yeah. person. Yeah. So did you have any hesitancy or fear when you were going to come out publicly and tackle such a catalytic issue? Yes and no. So here's the thing. I want to start here. Anti-Semitism shouldn't be a catalytic issue. It is, but it shouldn't be. Yeah. In the way that like yeah. speaking out against racism or hatred towards Native Americans or Asians or gay people or trans people, like none of these things should be catalytic because everybody should just accept that there are people that do things differently and like have different experiences or whatever. That kind of ground floor, if, if people can't meet there, I don't really give a shit about their opinion. That's where I start. In terms of like the early work, the good luck stuff and, and the swastikas, the people who were most offended and most disturbed by it, for the most part, were Jewish people. And I kind of expected that once I was starting it and once I was starting to show it to people. And you kind of just, it, it comes with the territory, you know, I wasn't trying to inflame anything or, or hurt anyone. So I think once I was able to have conversations with Jewish folks that were offended by it, they were able to see that. It's all very subjective. Like there's there's a friend of mine, an artist who I, I became friendly with kind of through some of these circles who's a Holocaust survivor and she loved my work. But there are Holocaust survivors that are very sensitive to using imagery like that in art, especially if you're not a survivor, whether you're Jewish or not. So that's the tough field to navigate. And it, it, I mean, it's ballsy to put swastikas in your artwork, you know, period. So yeah. if you do it, <laughs> you definitely have to be prepared for backlash, for sure. And I did get some. And I, I was prepared for it because I did it for a reason. The Watcher was intended to be a universal symbol, not a Jewish symbol. So luckily, I haven't had to deal with too much BS for that. Now, right now, in this moment, and with everything going on with Israel, I have found it's been best to just be quiet because I don't have, I don't take a side. I don't have rigid view on that subject. And that pisses off everybody. A lot of staunch yeah. Zionistic Jews don't think I support Israel enough. And a lot of not even Palestinian or Arab liberals, like white Christian liberals who have very little education or, you know, stake in the game either, you know, might say I'm not activist enough or I'm not empathetic enough or whatever. I'm not really interested in fighting with people on social media. I got some absolutely fucking ridiculous, crazy, batshit insane DMs last year when I shared very tame stuff, literally just being like, hey, 1000 Jews were just murdered program style maybe don't inflame anti-Semitism by like applauding that attack. I wasn't saying 
you know, bomb Gaza and I love Israel. And again, like it shouldn't be controversial as a Jew to be like, I believe that Israel is important for X, Y, and Z reasons. And I also disagree with what Israel's done for X, Y, and Z reasons. And I also believe in equal rights for the Palestinians. But like, even just saying that might get me a bunch more DMs. And like, please keep this in because I, I don't give a shit. But okay. so- <laughs> It's, it's really hard to navigate and it's made me not want to be the target anymore because it doesn't do anything for me. Like, I'm not trying to make a career fighting with people. Like, it's been really disappointing to see what's happening and to, to not be able to really do anything, even if you do speak out because your Instagram post isn't doing anything, guys. But at the same time, you know, I would love to see more outrage for other humanitarian crises. I would love to see people care about people in other parts of the world or even like people in New York that are on the side of the street. I I think it's important to keep putting good energy out. And it's certainly worth the effort to try to educate people and have nuanced discussion and whatever, but social media is not the outlet for it. I think what you just touched on is super important. Social media posts are not going to do anything because everybody is so dug into whatever their side is that if somebody posts something that doesn't fit their current belief, their current narrative, they're just going to dismiss it. But coming back to the art, art and storytelling is a great way to reach the tolerance that you want because you're not looking at somebody and saying you're wrong for what you believe and I'm right for what I believe. What you're doing is presenting a character or an image or art that is a message. It's that character's story. So I think that's something to consider is I really like the way that you incorporate messaging in your art and I'd love to personally see you continue to do that. Thank you. Yeah, that is a goal and an intention and i'm i'm trying to reinvent the way that i do that in the way that i did in between the first project and and doing the watcher stuff but like i there there's there's another development brewing but i want to take my time with it because it, it is you know I, I take it really seriously you know maybe i take all of it a little too seriously but that's the sort of art that i think you need to be very intentional with sort of like when you post things online like you should you know maybe think before you <laughs> say some yeah wild before stuff. you post but no you're you're right if you're saying something that carries a lot of weight you better be prepared yeah you know, and beyond you, that it's out of your control like if people are pissed off or don't yeah. like it or whatever you know that's fine but as long as you've set that intention and like really seen it through that's you you have to do that and there are artists of all sorts of backgrounds and identities or whatever that do that really beautifully so those are all big inspirations you know well i know you got a heart out here so yeah i gotta go to the league man gotta go draw yeah just thank you again it was a great conversation great catching up with you you know i think the world of you so hopefully in a few months you'll have something new out that you're looking to promote and you can come back on and tell us all about it yeah i'd love to always a pleasure rich thank you are you ready (laughs) 